it's a couple of things. I'm glad to see so many mature Christians here because I'll have more questions for you than you'll have for me. Because um, this seems to throw up a load as far as I'm concerned. Um, I've titled it, that's the one, isn't it, Ben? It's what we do that counts. So if we just read through the first part of it, Go to Mark 7, it's 14, not 1 to 4. Who did my... Oh, was that me? Right, <laughs> so, no. <laughs> so, see, you had one job, Ben. Right, I think I'll just ignore that and stick straight with this. Well, no, take, go from next one. That, that on. one, there you are. Oh, there we go. <laughs> So Mark 7, 14 to 23 is where we're going to start. When he had called all the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear me, everyone, and understand. There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he had entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable, so he said to them, Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him, because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods? And he said, What comes out of a man that defiles a man? For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. So we just want to go to Mark 14. Where's that on there? When he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear me, everyone, and understand. Now, why does Jesus make this point right in the first place? What's happened before to make him actually go into this? And I'd like to go to Mark 7. Gideon covered this last time, I believe. Mark 7, 8. Because I think that Jesus is having a pop at the Pharisees here. And he says, For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups, and many such things you do. Now, I couldn't actually find the commandment that they are laying aside. Um, it's obviously not one of the Ten Commandments. Um, does anyone here know what commandment they may have been laying aside? All I could come close to was Deuteronomy 4.2, which says, You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. That's the only thing that I could find that they could have possibly been laying aside. Does anyone know... Yes, Gideon, thank you. Are you looking? Yeah. Oh, I think hang on, hang on. Oh, it's always the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's because the word for comes after that. The word? Um, on, that, on that verse. For laying aside the commandment of God. Does that not imply that they've laid aside a commandment of God? Just trying to find it again. Um, yeah, I said to them, all too early you reject the commandment of God for Moses said. So I think he refers in the next verse to what Moses said. And probably that is what, they laying, what they're laying aside. They're laying aside. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. So this I thought they were referring to the traditions so we, we, can, we can accept that the traditions, are, they're not laying aside that then. Anyway. So I think we should agree that we have, over the years, added all sorts of bits and pieces over the years, too many to mention. Jesus is teaching the people that are present 
that the rules, regulations and tradition over and above the commandments is of men and violating them cannot defile them. This again is obviously a snub to the Pharisees who've introduced lots of different bits and pieces. We go on to Mark 15. Mark 7.15, there is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. I just want us to go on to, go to Daniel 1.8. I'm sure we all know what that's going to say. <laughs> you know you're not doing very well when you put your bookmarker in the wrong place. But it got me close. Daniel 1.8 says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now this passage does not sit very easily with what Jesus has just said. Now obviously things do have to sit side by side. And is this what we think is behind the Pharisees' comments? Is this why they're doing all the, all the, saying all the things they said? Because obviously, this stage, they only had the Old Testament. There was no New Testament then. So, how does that sit side by side with what Jesus has just said? I mean, we know that the food and drink that the king was having, was a lot of it was sacrificed to idols, wasn't it? But I just, you know, that does need to sit side by side with what Jesus is saying. Thoughts, people. All you mature Christians out there. Yeah, I mean, obviously this is a a different situation because they were in captivity. They were in a foreign nation, so there wouldn't be the prohibitions of pork or shellfish or things like that. And as you say, it may have been that it was offered to idols. It may also be, maybe um, Daniel, we don't know how to Nazarite vow and wouldn't, wouldn't take alcohol, something like that. So there was something there. And the thing about Daniel is he asked for permission. He didn't lay down his you know, prisoner of all rights or anything. Mm. He asked for permission to go on the veggie diet. Well, I mean, I think that uh, what, uh, what strikes me is that um, apart from the special circumstances of, uh, of Daniel, obviously there were prescriptions under the law of what they could eat. Um, but here Jesus is elevating the whole discussion to a different level. He's taking them away from the law of Moses and he's taking them more into uh, kingdom law. He's, he, mm-hmm. he's, he's elevating it into the spiritual dimension that... that um, actually fulfills that that law doesn't it? Yeah. it 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 moves the whole discussion on from that law and that's why as christians we're not under the mosaic restrictions for example you can eat mackerel or shellfish mm. if yeah. you if you so choose to do you're not mm. restricted by the law anymore so jesus was kind of in a sense this there's this transition period from the law of moses to to what was coming which is mm. grace but essentially it's always a kingdom message it's all about yeah. the heart so, as I've got a note further on that says it, so in other words, it's it because Jesus fulfilled the law, that's what we're saying, therefore, those bits and pieces no longer apply because Jesus has fulfilled the law. So the mosaic, right, okay, yep, yeah, that's it, that'll, I'll just skip past that bit when I get to it then. <laughs> that's the danger of <laughs> yeah. the No, I was like, there's, there's no danger there. <laughs> Jesus is saying this at this point as well because some of the other people that were trying to build a military kingdom uh, as Jews who had uh, rebelled against the Romans were very, very, uh, were, were known, the Maccabees and others, were very strict on food. It's one of the things that they're very strict on. So I don't know if Jesus is drawing a distinction here, a deliberate one, between the kingdom that he represents and the kingdom that others who have, re- who have come with a different message 
and a more of an earthly kingdom, uh, what they what they were majoring on. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Going to Acts 10. No. You go on. <laughs> Following from what Jesus was saying about the, it's the food doesn't make you unclean, you got Peter's vision in Acts 10. Oh, yeah. Where he became hungry and wanted to eat, and then a meal was prepared, and he saw all these things which were for Jewish people unclean. And the voice said, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything pure or unclean. A voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. So I think later down it says that this was God declaring that all food was not unclean. And I can't find where that is. I did look at that, but I figured that the previous discussion would clear that bit up. So. Yeah. <laughs> that was a swerve, wasn't it? Did you like that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I've, I've rehearsed answers. Right. Well, it goes 16. Right, let's move on to the next little verse. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, this obviously always, well, it doesn't always, but tends to precede a parable. Um, also interesting here is, do we think this was an invitation to the Pharisees that may have been interested in what he's got to say to actually to follow him? Because it's him that he's, it's them that he's really having a go at. You know, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Is that an it? Do you think he might be in a, look at you lot, if you really want to understand. Yeah. Do you want to come along? I just noticed that Jesus, even talking to the Pharisees, he used to put out a branch that they could have taken, yeah. you know, to, mm. to get on the right track. Yeah. 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 If we go on to 17... When he had entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. So we've got the fact that it is a parable. It is confirmed as being a parable. Which means it can be looked at in other ways. So whatever enters a man from 18... Oh, hang on. Here we go. So he said to them, are you... The, that's it. Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him? So do we, knowing that it's a parable, do we still think this just refers to food and drink? I don't think it does. It's, it's what we say, what comes out of our mouth, that can defile. That's what defiles us. Yeah. I think it relates to, as I say, yeah, definitely that. And I've got noted, just living and working in this broken world subjects us to all sorts of ungodly influences, external rules, regulations and traditions. We all conform to different bits of this at different times. So why can't it defile us? Why, Jesus is saying that none of these things can defile us. And if we go to verse 19, it's because it does not enter his heart but his stomach and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. So it doesn't go into our heart. Just living in the world that we live in, being subjected to everything we're subjected to, I mean, all the rules and regulations and traditions, we've got loads of them. I mean, just Christmas for a start is a tradition. So would not stick in to that tradition, would that violate us? I mean, would that defile us? Of course it wouldn't. I mean, if you didn't want to celebrate Christmas, that's, that is not conforming to a tradition. Um, it wouldn't defile us, because it would not enter our hearts. Defilement, here we go. Defilement comes from an impure heart not the violation of external rules and worldly influences. It's how we deal with things that matters. 
The Bible tells us we can take our thoughts captive. We choose how to behave. We choose how to react. We choose how to speak. So can we just carry on and not worry about who we associate with, what we watch on TV, what we read, places we go, breaking all sorts of rules, regulations and traditions? Because Jesus tells us that we can't defile us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fellowship with God is not interrupted by unclean hands, food, non-adherence to rules and traditions, regulations. What interrupts us, fellowship with God, is sin. So, can we just carry on regardless? I don't think so. All of these things are what we eat. And apparently, we are what we eat. We've, we've all heard that as a saying. But Jesus... Sorry? Someone say something? No, it's just muttering. Oh, okay. <laughs> that, um, so was I. <laughs> no, I think that it's... That's the strictest interpretation of that. Although, if you surround yourself with people who always do these things and talk about these things, then... The, the the human you know heart or mind is fickle and yeah. and what you feed yourself with whether it's the word of god and the company of other christians um and spiritual songs and reading the bible whatever yeah. those those things will feed you and if you're constantly not doing that and surrounding yourself or spending time with other people you potentially could argue that those things will affect you obviously there's a there's a balance because we can't be um, completely apart from the world. We, we are witnesses. We are salt. So there's there's a lot to, to take in. But but certainly is if you choose to spend your time with people who are constantly not walking with God, then you'll be tempted by mm. that. So how you react is still in the end what makes the difference. But that's it exactly. I've I've got a note here. You just put we're just putting ourselves on under unnecessary pressure we're putting ourselves in the firing line and why would we choose to do that because by doing all these things that we are choosing you're going back we we choose how to behave and if you're going to do that then you are leading yourself wide open you're just unnecessary pressure it'll make it i've got no it'll make it so much harder for us to live in a christ-like manner if we are full of the wrong food served by the wrong people Um, you know, I've, got, I've just got just just a few examples. I mean, you can go to the pub. It, in there, it could be full of drunks, behaving badly, talking coarsely. I would argue that it's not going into the pub that would defile you. It would be how you react. It would be your behaviour. Does their behaviour taint your behaviour? Um, I don't think this can be overstressed. If we deliberately because we have a choice at this stage, put ourselves in harm's way, then it makes it considerably harder to correct our thoughts, speech and behaviour. We could avoid the temptation by simply not going, but the act of going, I would argue, would not defile you. I have thoughts. Yeah? Well, if anyone wants to respond, feel free, I've got an hour. I personally, I know that this is about food and drink, but besides the mouth gate, there's the eye gate and the ear gate. Mm. And if we continually hear bad things or watch bad things, I personally feel that that would defile me. That's how I feel about it. I would need to repent of what I've seen and repent of what I've heard um, to, you know, become clean again. I think that would apply if you've deliberately looked at something, for example, watching porn or listening to something, then you have deliberately done that. And I think that would be cause for repentance. You couldn't be responsible for walking around a corner and seeing something Oh, and then walking mm. away, mm. You, you'd have no control over that. Mm. So I don't think I don't. Is that what you mean? Or 
mean, there's a distinction, isn't there? Because sometimes we, we make choices about what comes in through our ear gates or our eye gates. And, and as you say, Neil, um, something that's shoved at us is not our choice. But then, of course, um, other times we choose, don't we, to, to yeah. listen to things that are not healthy or whatever. Yeah. So. But it's an interesting point, Lizzie, because it yeah. seems to go across what Jesus is teaching here. But I'm yeah. pretty sure Jesus is, is referring to food and drink. I think the whole parable says that, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. It's got to be to do with the condition of the heart in the first place. Yeah. And how the heart responds to what you're taking in. So, um, if you have a predilection that causes you to take things in through uh, your eye gate, ear gate, mouth gate, whatever. That's coming out of your heart already, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He's talking about food. So you could argue, well, 64 chocolate donuts won't defile me. <laughs> they won't, but they will, they will make you fat. But the problem <laughs> isn't the chocolate donut per se. The problem is your own heart, which tends towards gluttony. So I, I would imagine that what you see and what you hear... It's all about, I think I'm just emphasizing what you're saying, I think, Neil. It's all about how you are responding in your own heart. What is your heart in that condition? Mm. Rather than um, the defilement wholly coming from outside. Mm. God yeah. sees everything. It doesn't defile him. Mm. Yeah. So, um, you know, it has to be to do with the receptivity of the heart, I, I would think. Mm. I've got another note here. Actually, it was um, Jesus may not have had radio, TV, casinos, racetracks, etc., but he did associate with thieves, prostitutes, and the like. He did, however, make very good use of his time. <laughs> there was a great, I don't know if anyone else saw it, there was a great thing, I don't know how I picked it up on YouTube. It was a, a church, and they were trying to defend allowing um, homosexual marriages, um, all sorts of basically woke, all this nonsense. And they were trying to defend it on the grounds that Jesus was inclusive. And this debate went on for 30, 40 minutes, and it was pretty well going nowhere, and it was, it was a terrible debate. One, one minister stood up, and he basically said, he even got booed by the crowd at what he said, um, he stood up, he basically said, I've been listening to you for 30 or 40 minutes now. And yes, Jesus was inclusive. And he did associate with these prostitutes and all the rest of it. He was inclusive. But it was them that went away changed, not him. Um, so, and I thought that was absolutely brilliant. He got shouted down by the congregation that were there. But that... You know, that just about says it. I mean, Jesus lived in the world and he was subjected to all sorts of things. Rejection, humiliation. He, they didn't believe him. They didn't do anything. He didn't budge. And he still associated with all the things. He went to all the places. But he didn't budge. He didn't move. He could control his thoughts, speech and behaviour perfectly. And, yeah, I mean, just... I've got a few examples here of just things that you can come up against or that I personally have come up against. Um, one, I mean, obviously companies and that will remain anonymous, but when I had a, I had a groundworks firm and I was responsible, I had six men in a gang working for this main contractor. And basically for unless you know the construction industry very well, I was asked to run a ghost. Now this is so widespread across the industry that unless you're in it, you wouldn't even know what a ghost, running a ghost is. Basically, it's usually run on contracts that are um, cost plus. In other words, whatever the contract costs in labor materials and everything, and then it's plus a percentage. And whoever has the lowest percentage will win the contract. So if the job's worth 10 million and I go in at cost plus 5% and you went in at cost plus 4%, you'll win the contract because you will cost 
the, you will charge the main contractor 1% less than I will on cost. Well, as soon as you get, they are so corrupt, these contracts, it's unbelievable. Because as soon as you win the contract, 5% of 20 million is a lot more than 5% of 10 million. And 5% is your profit. That's why the high speed range trail track was never going to get finished because that would have been one on a cost plus contract. Therefore, as soon as anyone won that contract, it's in their best interest to make the cost as high as physically possible. One of the ways they do this is companies run ghosts. And this company I was working for, their Christmas due was coming up and I was approached, they wanted me to run a ghost, which is I fill out a person, I charge them for a person that doesn't exist. They pay me, that person that doesn't exist, wages. I take half, they have half. And that's what funds their Christmas do. <laughs> I refused, I said, I'm not doing that. I refused to do it. As a result of which, they threatened to throw my little firm off the job. If you won't do it, we'll find a company that will. And I said, that's absolutely right, but you don't know who I'm going to talk to when I lose this, when I lose this job for these six men. And they, well, they bailed in the end, they let me stay, but mainly because I just gave them money for their Christmas do. Um, but that is, how, that is something that you can be subjected to, that you have no control over, will have consequences if you don't conform. But the only thing I had any choice over was how I behaved and reacted to it. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, I think, one of the messages that we've got here. It's, um, yeah, not like just another silly little one, just cleaning windows, for example. We look after, um, there's five houses that are full of recovering alcoholics. Well, <laughs> they always seem drunk when we go around there. <laughs> recovering drug addicts and, well, you feel funny just walking up the hall um, and ex-homeless people, people with mental problems. Anyway, their windows get cleaned and obviously if we clean the windows really quick, we get to go home early. Five houses there. I'm with a colleague. He says, basically, well, we don't need to worry about these because they don't even know what day it is, let alone whether their windows are clean. Now I've got a colleague there putting you, under, putting you under pressure to just not really bother because no one's actually going to care. The council don't come round and check and the occupants, they haven't got a clue. Um, again, it's a, I'm, I've no control being put in that situation. I've got a colleague there putting pressure to do the same. The only thing I've got a choice on is how I react to that. And I just did what I did. I just cleaned them as normal. But I bet the funk got bodged. <laughs> but I have no control over that. But I say these are just things that we come about. So, any comments on things that can affect anyone out there? There's quite a list of um, things here, aren't there? That I don't know how much of this you're gonna. Um, Pat Neal, the, the evil thoughts, the adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness. Obviously, you're covering a lot of them, but yeah. it's quite a list. There is, um, it's there is quite a 22, list. I think that's the verse number. But yeah, it's just yeah. Quite, a, quite a shocking list, really. There is quite a shocking list there. Well, it's interesting. It starts with evil thoughts and then adulteries, so the sexual sin is kind of right at the top, but then it ends in foolishness. So that's quite interesting as well. Mm. Just... Um, my brother, this was uh, decades ago, but he was working for a chemical factory in London, uh, Chemical Foods Limited. And uh, when they... When it got um, to adding it all up, um, he was expected to put another naught on the end yeah. for 
I think it was going out to Japan or somewhere, and he 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 just couldn't do it. So he had to he left the job because he just mm. couldn't do the mm. uh, evil um, mm. dotting up that they were doing. Yeah. Yeah, not one I've spoken about. We pulled off a job um, in up near Chessington. In the end, on the Friday, I said there won't be a Monday. We we just pulled off. Um, it's just, it's awful. Um, you need to speak yeah. a bit louder. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's, yeah, so it's just some of the things you come across, they're just awful. Um, but it's just the way of the world. It's, it's shocking. Um, I haven't come across a single part of the world that isn't extremely corrupt. Um, just, even government. Government are shocking. Um, when I left school, I was a policeman. You're going to find, you're going to find this hard to believe. Um, not that I was a policeman, but just what I'm about to say. From 78 to 88, um, just wouldn't believe what goes on. I mean, statistics. Do you know what? They can make them say whatever you want to say. Absolute joke. Because they, the government make these pledges, right, we're going to reduce car crime by 30%. Do you know how they did that? They did it overnight. They reduced car crime by 30%. It was brilliant. If you steal someone's car, but then they get it back a couple of days later, because that's what usually happens, people bother them and then dump them. That is theft. But they, they introduced taking and driving away. We'll make taking and driving away an offence, that therefore it's not theft. Therefore, your, theft, your thefts of cars goes through the floor. Same amount of people woke up without a car. But crime, yes, that was brilliant. Um, criminal damage to be unruly behaviour. If you damage something, it's criminal damage. So they introduced a threshold. Only damage over £50 will be criminal damage. Anything under £50 will be vandalism, which won't be crimeable. Cut the figures overnight. Yeah. Brilliant. So, and oh, we used to have to run the car because you had to cut back on fuel. If you didn't use all your fuel for the year, your budget, um, I'm not boring anyone. If you don't use all your fuel by the end of the year, the Home Office deem that you didn't need it. So we'll cut your fuel allowance. So the secret is to use all your fuel. But the Home Office aren't that silly. They say, well, you need to restrict the mileage a car can do in a shift unless it has something specific to do. You can't have cars just pulling over mid-chase because they've used their mileage. So unless you could justify why you've gone over your mileage, you had a restricted mileage. But they had to use their fuel. We, I kid you not, as true as I'm sitting here, we had to sit there with the engines running. <laughs> Because that's no mileage, but uses fuel. Unbelievable. Anyway, the world we live in. And that's government. That, that was good as it gets. Right, oh, yeah. right, here we go. I haven't done so much on this one. I, didn't, I thought we'd be running out of time. You haven't been as talkative as I was hoping. It can be. Yeah, carry on. <laughs> Right, where we were, where are we? Right, Mark 7, 24 to 30. Because it goes on to another little bit now. From here he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and wanted no one to know it. But he could not be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him and came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek Syrophoenician by birth. Did I say that right? and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter but Jesus said to her let the children be filled first for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs and she answered and said to him yes Lord yet even the little dogs under the table eat from, eat from the children's crumbs then he said to her for saying this go your way the demon has gone out of your daughter 
And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed. There we go. So what have we got here? I've got 24 now. Jesus wanted to get away from the crowds as he wanted to teach his disciples. Um, where do, obviously, he, sometimes he just wants to get away, doesn't he? he, he he's got crowds with him everywhere. And sometimes he just needs to get away. He's about 30 miles away he's gone, isn't he? In this particular incident. Just so he can be alone with his disciples. But Matthew 5.14, just as a point here, but a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Ha <laughs> they're going to see him wherever he goes. No, it's probably because I didn't tell you to put it up there. Although I thought I did. I'll, I'll pass the ball back. <laughs> no, I don't think I asked you to, to be honest, Ben. Why have I got that up? Oh, I was going to put, I was going to use that. Oh, don't want to <laughs> I gave you the wrong one, I probably. <laughs> right. I've just got about verse 25. I'll just go back to 25. Yeah. Why doesn't it say what? Can I just ask something? Oh. <laughs> yeah. Next one, actually. The Phoenician, the Syro Phoenician. Is that to, I'm confused because it says she's Greek, either, and Syro Phoenician. So, what is she? Uh, were you about to say something about that, Neil? Yeah, I was going to yeah. pass that over to John. Oh, you're going to pass that to John? <laughs> <laughs> Which John? Which John? <laughs> I was, was going to say something like, Me and John know everything between us. Yeah. John knows that bit. <laughs> I don't actually, Neil, so I'm sorry to disappoint. Oh, right. She was a Canaanite. Yes. Yeah, it does say that she came from, doesn't it? Surely that would be it, wouldn't it? Yeah. Gen go on, you. I've got a note. Um, the woman is called a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenician, in a Mark, and a Canaanite in Matthew. Mark's designation refers to her political background. His Roman audience would easily identify her by a part of the empire that was her home. Matthew's description was designed to his Jewish audience, who, who remember the Canaanites as bitter enemies when Israel was setting in, settling in the foreign land, promised land. <laughs> so it's all time. Um, an alternative reading in my margin says instead of Greek, it's Gentile, yeah. uh, followed by a Syrian, mm. Syrian of Phoenicia. Mm. So she was a Syrian from Phoenicia mm. and a Gentile. Mm. No, I don't know. Um, so could it just mean that her fam family were Greek and they'd come to Syria, Syrian from Nisha. Sorry. People from Poland have children here who are British, yeah. but they are of Polish descent. Yeah, that would make sense, wouldn't it? I just wonder, though, if it, if it is Gentile because of how he goes on to say um, it's good to give the bread to the children, and that's Israel. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, the Gentiles are little dogs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I suppose the question is, she obviously is a Gentile, Gentile because yeah. of the Is he being specific? <laughs> About... Sorry. Sorry, John. Was she a Greek? She's obviously a Gentile yeah. because of the crumbs bit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
But is he being specific and actually listing where she is derived from rather than just the generic term Gentile? Because anyone who is not a Jew is a Gentile. So she could come from, she could come from no. Greece or Aspidilazus. She'd still be a Gentile. But that, that the question is, is the text saying she's specifically a Greek? I don't know. I have no idea. No. I'm just chuttering on here. I don't, just, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. You carry on anyway now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know. Right. Oh. You can, Roz. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think the Phoenicians, they were related to the Philistines. I think they were real. I mean, they, they were real Canaanites. This is identical yeah. to... Um, the one in Matthew, Matthew fifteen twenty six, where she is described as a Canaanite. Um, yeah, Matthew fifteen six. She is. Sorry. Matthew fifteen twenty two. Behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region. Quite actually. Oh, I've got sixteen then. Oh yeah, you started started earlier. Yeah. 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 So. Right. Yeah, mine is sort of, it might mean unclean, which is yes. Gentile. Yeah. yeah. I just made some notes on verse 25, 25 being for a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit, heard about him, she came and fell at his feet. If you break that, she's, actually, she's heard about Jesus, she sought Jesus, and she has submitted to him. There's a, you know, there's a little thingy in there, isn't there, really? Seeking out Jesus, you know, we hear about him, seek him out, submit to him. And it goes on, she gets favour. Anyway, I just made a note of that. Right, at 26, the woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Again, we've got the persistence there. We've got the persistent widow thing there. She's, you know, she's not taking no for an answer. 27. But Jesus said to her, verse 27, But Jesus said to her, Let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. First, that's a bit harsh, isn't it, really? Could you imagine? So? <laughs> it's not for you. You know, it's, um, it does seem a bit harsh. And she was... Jesus is referring to the children of Israel. And he's saying it's not right for the Gentiles to receive him before Israel, for whom he came to save. And I've got to note here, note the word first that is used. I believe, is this the first indication in the New Testament that the Gentiles would be included? Is, does it, is, it, is this the first time that Jesus really has indicated that the Gentiles would be included? Putting that out there. We'll have to, have, we'll have to think about that. Um, <laughs> have to look back through Mark. All right, so I would say it depends on whose book we'll study. And by that I mean Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and all that, and trying to put everything within, uh, say, mind's uh, mm. frame of reference in time. But it's not, because at the very beginning of John 1, he said, he came unto his own, his own received him not, but as many as received him, it doesn't matter where they come from, oh, yeah. to them he gave the power or the right or the privilege to become the very offspring of God who were born not after flesh and blood but after the will of God. That's John 1 at the very first episode. So it looks uh, like some other 
You know, these people, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, had uh, different angles and perspectives in the revelations they received about Jesus and the way they made their reports. Okay. You go to verse 28. And she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. And I've just got some notes here. Where Again, we've got the persistence, acceptance of what he's saying. She hasn't challenged him over it at all. And faith in that he could deliver what she's asking. And 29, verse 29. And he said to her, For this saying, go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And she has been commended. And he rewards her faith. Um, and 30, obviously, the miracle's complete. Oh, I forgot, I forgot that, didn't I? <laughs> this bit here. This bit, yeah. <laughs> Ben's, Ben's keeping me up to date with me overheads. It's quite hard to move two things on at once, isn't it? Yeah, 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 thank you. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's that. That finishes me off, really. What's fascinating here is, of course, Matthew talks about us being a Canaanite, and the children of Israel were told to destroy the Canaanites. They were supposed to destroy the Canaanites when they got into the land. And here's this woman, a Canaanite, and she comes up and she's asking Jesus for this miracle. And she obviously makes this extremely wise reply, this faith-filled reply. And Jesus gives to her uh, her heart's desire. And to a Jew, that would be staggering. I mean, this would get right in the faces, I would have thought. Mm of people like the Pharisees. Because here's this person who is really persona non grata, really. And yet she gets this miracle. And it just just shows that Jesus is taking the whole thing away from this kind of law-based, Jewish, Jew-Gentile sort of division. And he's elevating it to everyone who will have faith in him so that it's a it's um it's a seed at least of there is neither jew nor greek but all are one in christ anyone who puts their faith in him is saved and delivered even a canaanite even a canaanite it's a marvelous testimony of grace thank you i think the other thing about she's described as greek is this part of Israel used to be uh, the tribe of Asher way back, but it had been uh, taken over by by the Phoenicians and others, and it was under a lot of Greek influence, Hellenistic Greek influence. Mm -hmm. And so she, when it says Greek, it could even mean that she was culturally like a Greek, Mm -hmm. Hellenistic, which, which would be even even worse in many ways uh, in terms of, of how she looked, maybe the jewellery she was wearing and all those sorts of things. Um, so, I thought it was taken over by the Romans. Yes, at this, at this time, yeah. But it had yeah. been under a lot of Greek influence before that. So, so and the Hel- Hellenism was, was very much against, you know, it was all about uh, the kind of Alexander the Great type Hellenistic th- culture that came in. So in some ways, she would be she she'd be a, one of the worst Gentiles that you could yeah. you could could imagine really. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, because um, I mean, the fifth century is what I've got in my head for the Greek. That was the flowering of Greek civilization, wasn't it? But it would say so BC. But um, yeah. Does anyone else want to make any comments or ask questions? I think it would be good to kind of, you know, ask questions of Neil. <laughs> <laughs> Me and John, we know everything yeah. between us. <laughs> 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 
Uh, I just think this is such a marvelous, marvelous story. It, it, it's, re it's reminiscent of, uh, reminiscent of the, uh, the Roman captain, the yes. guy that came yeah. and said, yeah. my, my servant is ill. Yeah. Um, again, uh, you know, recognizing authority in yeah. Jesus, that was yeah. just, mm. the, just the same. Yeah. And her being, having the wisdom of Abigail, I think, you know, that yes. rescued her husband yeah. and became David's wife. Yes. It's just wonderful. But also in my own heart, the, um, the, the way that Jesus was for the Gentiles, and I'm a Gentile, so yeah. it... it always gets me even the prophecies talking about all the world will be gathered in and jesus was just doing that you know um the other thought was coming back to the story of the food and and so on and clearly if you're a, a law-abiding and and devout jew in the time of jesus even if all the food laws wasn't the thing you cared about if God's law was what you cared about because some of the you know the, the original food laws came from Moses mm -hmm. so Jesus then comes in and says no but that's not it that's not what it's about so you would be confused yeah. you would be confused so I think there, there were probably many of the Pharisees who were following Jesus secretly not just the one or, one or two that the Bible mentions Mm. And um, I, I think he, it's like we said earlier, I, I'm sure that his heart was for them just as much. But he, he, he was attacking what they stood for. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So no, it just gives me so much hope le reading this mm. story. I just had um, a brief comment on your question, um, Neil, about whether that was the first moment of you know, uh, that Jesus was going to come to the Gentiles. And I appreciate what you're saying, Emmanuel, about John chapter 1. Um, but kind of just looking at Mark itself, it, I think this is a really important moment, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I think this is the first moment in Mark that Jesus has shown he's for the Gentiles, um, having flicked through quickly just now. So, yeah, in answer to your question, it's very significant, I think. Thank um, you. I'm just delighted by Jesus' heart in verse 14. When he had called all the multitude to himself, he said to them, hear me, everyone, and understand. That was his heart, you know. He longed for them to hear him and to understand. You know, the Pharisees and all the others. Isn't it marvellous that the, the, the chapter starts with the Pharisees picking him up on uh, the disciples um, uh, eating, eating bread with unwashed hands. So the chapter starts with, with law. These people are all about law. And it ends with salvation coming to a Canaanite. It's like it goes from law to grace over the spirit of the passage. So that would be... Uh, uh, very interesting in the light of what Neil is saying that if this is indeed the first time that uh, there is this sort of mention of the Gentiles coming in it would be fascinating because it goes from law to grace in this one chapter and, ch uh, chapter, and I'm sure Mark is doing that deliberately I'm sure that that is why he has is, is, done this to point this lesson out to his hearers okay Isn't it, isn't it amazing that she knew it was a demon? Yes. Today, people, is the, almost the last thing anybody thinks. Yeah. <laughs> she knew that's what it was. That's yeah. all, all it needed was the authority of Jesus yeah. to get rid of it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, should we just give Neil a round of applause? Yeah. For all this? <laughs> <laughs> Let's just. Um, oh, oh,